This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I am joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm feeling good. Are you feeling well or better because Brittany has been hashtag freed? I am great because Brittany is free. I know. It's I, I was shocked last week when I saw the news. I'm like, no way. No, I it's really sad because I will say on our last couple of podcasts where we talked about her conservatorship. I think we've been like 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 on our predictions. I cuz I never thought the ter- the conservatorship was going to get ended. Like I just I did not see that coming. So I was shocked to hear the news that Brittany is finally free. She is freed. Yeah. Well, I didn't think the chance was zero mm-hmm. that it would end, but I had suspicions due to the fact that it had been running for a long time and the judge probably had access to information that we were not privy to that Maybe there was some reason why they had been continuing on the conservatorship. But I also didn't imagine a a judge who was confronted with information to suggest that a conservatorship wasn't needed would just require it to continue indefinitely for for no good reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing I saw that's kind of interesting is that her attorney made a statement saying, you know, don't worry, Brittany's still protected. She's going to have a trust now for her benefit. I'm like, all right. Finally, we get the planning in that she should have had 13 years ago mm-hmm. that could have prevented this entire thing at the get go. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's what's happening. You know what? You know what we ought to do? What? Maybe you maybe you and I could actually get educated on this topic and then we could like talk about it on a podcast sometime. Maybe that would be a smart thing to do rather than what just, an idea. Yeah. Just <laughs> not uh, no, no, no. I, th- I think you're totally right. And I and I thought the same thing that like. I, I had heard that and I thought exactly the same thing. I was like, oh, yeah, that, that, yeah, there you go. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. The thing they should have done originally. Yeah, that's what they're doing now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. To be continued then. To be the continued. <laughs> but I'm glad to know that you're happy and you're rested. You look well. It appears that, uh, you know, you're feeling good about life now that Brittany is free. Yep. Doing no, do no small part, I'm sure, Rachel, to your efforts. Yeah. Of course, of course, yeah. But no, yeah, slept very soundly this weekend, knowing that (laughs) finally, finally, she's free. (laughs) Finally. All right, well, speaking of things that will make us all uh, sleep soundly, I thought today we could talk about taxes, and there was nobody funner to do that with than Shauna the Tax Goddess. Shauna is the proprietor and owner of Tax Goddess Business Services PC, uh, I guess physically out of Phoenix, although that's probably not really your true geographic reach uh, Shauna would be my guess. Very true. Yes. Uh, at this point, we are now serving all 50 states plus about another 15 countries, U.S. citizens wow. and foreign countries. So, yes, we're we're definitely a little bit broader than just Arizona. So. Mm-hmm. Does it make you kind of look at the map and think, how did we get here? <laughs> well, considering I absolutely love to travel, I'm looking at that map all the time at this point, <laughs> you know, drooling, waiting to be able to leave the country again. Uh, but yeah, 67 countries and counting, you know, the globe is a small place when you've done that much travel. So mm, cool. Well, what are your let's see, uh, give us maybe top two or three. What are your top two or three? 
Oh, absolutely got this list ready. So uh, number one is Thailand. Love the people, love the food, love the very laid back culture, love the jungle. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, number two would be Ireland. So I am a crazy redhead, um, German of all things, not Irish. But again, the people, the culture, the food, the green coming from a desert, seeing that many shades of green is spectacular. And at the moment, number three would be New Zealand. So mm. I love doing adventure stuff. And my favorite story of all times was underground uh, in wetsuits, cave tubing with headlamps on, going through like floating down an underground river and then seeing the most spat spectacular set of stars in an underground cave I've ever seen in my entire life. So if you ever want to hear that story, you let wow. me know. <laughs> yes, we're definitely going to have to get that one from you. <laughs> maybe maybe not for the podcast audience, but yeah. wow, that sounds amazing. <laughs> there are definitely some amazing places in the world, and I can't wait to get back out there and see some more. So. Yeah, it's got to be starting to turn around, get slightly better. Yeah, slightly from negative 400. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm looking forward to going back to 10 out of 10 awesomeness. So. Right. Yeah. So when things open up then, where where are you going first? Uh the one place that is still on my bucket list that I've never been is Russia. So I want to see not only of course, you know, the main cities, go see the artwork, go see the beautiful buildings, but I also want to travel through like Siberia, Mongolia out into the wilderness and see what that's all about. So. They have plenty of wilderness. Just a bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I think a part of that, I'm originally Canadian. And so seeing the trees and the wilderness and the snow, you know, there's there's a piece of me that wants to go back to that, but only for visiting purposes, not for living. It's too cold. <laughs> well, we're uh, we're right there with you. I think uh, as soon as things really open up, uh, Rachel and I are both kind of chomping at the bit to get back on the road go to fun places that that New Zealand excursion Shauna I'm gonna just talk to you talk to you later about that because that just sounds amazing pretty darn cool yes ma'am you let me know and I'll give you all the tips all right well let's ruin this conversation and talk about taxes then because we're getting Aww. towards the <laughs> we're getting towards the end of the year I, this is a, a joke of course because we all love taxes but the yeah. you know getting towards the end of the year and the thing that uh people always ask me at the end of the year is how do I save money so I don't spend so much of it on taxes this year. Yes. I usually have two responses. Response number one is make less money. And response number two is why didn't we talk about this in January? But be, you know, people be as they may. Um, they often wait until uh, almost the end of the year. We're talking on the, the 15th of November here. So this is this is getting towards the crunch time. So I thought maybe we'd go through what are the what are the top kind of little tidbits that you're talking to your clients about right now, which I'm sure you guys are doing lots of year end. And, you know, we can chit chat about some of the stuff that we're talking with our clients. And hopefully that will be a useful list when we get to the end of it. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Tips and tricks to save money. It's my absolute favorite. I dig it. Well, yeah. So uh, let's see the number one big one. Now, this depends, of course, on what state you live in. But if you have a partnership or an S corporation return uh, and you're hitting the salt limits. All right. So let me let me back up a little bit of details there for the listeners. Uh, the salt limit stands for state and local taxation. OK. Uh, back January 1st, 2018, there was a new rule put into place that any taxes you pay above 10,000. So that might be property tax, a vehicle license tax, of course, the actual income tax that you pay to your state. 
anything over $10,000 is no longer deductible. That was a huge hit for people in the high tax states. So California, New Jersey, New York, they were very, very, very upset about this. So the governments, the state governments actually did something really, really cool. Uh, just recently, so this is starting here in 2021, if you have a partnership or you have an S corporation, so it's got to be one of these two flow through type of entities. If you have one of these entities, your company can actually pay your personal income tax state or personal income tax at the state level. Your company can pay those for you and you don't lose the deduction. The company can actually take it as a deduction. So you're getting a huge benefit by being able to get around this uh, rather nasty little salt tax limit that the federal government tried to put in. And uh, it always does make me smile because really what we're looking at is the states that have put this into place. The states that have done this are the high tax rate states. So we're looking, you know, Arizona is where I'm located is actually on that list. And we've got, uh, let's see if I can get the specific list here for the listeners. Um, I know for sure California's on that list. Sorry, I should have had this up ahead of time. My apologies. But the list itself is now covering, here we go, Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Georgia, Idaho, Louisiana, Maryland, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York. So you heard California and New York, Oklahoma, Rhode Island, South Carolina, and Wisconsin. And we've got pending legislation right now in another six states. So this is a huge deal for business owners, especially if you're making good money. I, you know, I almost choked when you said make less money. I'm like, oh, heck no, we're making more money. We're just keeping it, which is much more important. So this is one of the top tips to be looking at right now. Yeah, that's a good one. Obviously, I'm being facetious about the make less money. Um, <laughs> you better I want, be, honey, I want, I'll I tell want clients to make more money so they can afford our fees. That's Yay! what I want. The, uh, the, yeah, that's such a good tip. And just to be like, to put a little bit of a fine point on that, yeah. the idea is that a lot of partnerships and a lot of S corporations will make, okay, so, and just to add one extra layer of gloss, we're not talking about single member LLCs that are quote, disregarded, or single member LLCs that are owned as community property where you're electing to treat the LLC as disregarded. We're talking about true partnerships, true S corporations. Okay. So in those, in those scenarios, very frequently what they will do historically is they will distribute out cash to the partners or to the shareholders in order to facilitate the partner or shareholder paying their personal taxes because all the, the tax items are flowing out to them they'll make so-called tax distributions. So this would be, you don't make the tax distribution, you just pay it directly in the partnership or the or the company. Yep, yep. And I think one of the biggest things here is, you know, d- d- we'll keep tweaking it. If we're going to do fine points, we'll keep tweaking it. Just because you're a one-man shop does not mean that you can't do this, right? You could be a one-man LLC disregarded. And if you're in New York or California and you're paying $100,000 of state taxes, it might make sense for you to convert to an S-corp, one-man S-corp, even though that's going to be more expensive, you have a separate tax filing, you got to run payroll, you got to do these other things. If I can get a $100,000 tax deduction, yeah, I might do that. So it's definitely a part of planning where you can't just look at your one bottom line. It's looking at the big overarching picture and how these things fit in with each other. So. Yeah, that's a really good point. 
So you can you can be an S corp and just have one owner. You can't be a partnership and just have one owner, but you can be an S corp and have Correct. one owner. And here's the if if there's any so if there's anybody out there and they're thinking ah this is a really good idea. Okay, here's my one caveat to making that S election. The caveat is if you have appreciated assets that are not material to what that S corp is going to be doing as a business, do not put the appreciated assets inside that S corp because once you become an S corp, you can't unelect it without having a deemed sale of all the assets inside. So if you put your appreciated assets in there, you can't get them out tax-free, so you don't want to do that. So that's the one little footfall that I see people stepping on quite a lot, and uh, I don't ever have any good news for them. I'm like, well, I don't know. Do you have losses? No? <laughs> well, well now, you got a problem. Just piece, hang on. Yeah, now your only piece of good news is, well, at least you get the salt deduction. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we see it a ton. Exactly right. With uh, real estate going into an S-corp, like if the S-corp also, or the LLC also owns a building, right? Uh, sometimes with stocks, sometimes with bullion on crypto be super cautious great point yeah and there's a so maybe that's a, a good topic just to to talk about a little bit from a planning perspective as far as people trying to structure their businesses in a way that might allow them to qualify for certain deductions and not then trip up on some things. So the one about real estate is great. Of course, in our state, like everything is real estate. In Arizona, almost everything <laughs> is real estate. So, um, you know, a lot of people who are, say, they own uh, rental properties, be they residential or multifamily or, or commercial, um, they, they can get clobbered with things like self-employment tax. And so very commonly, they're trying to convert into an S-corp to get a little bit of leveraging on the self-employment tax. It's just they do it by making a nice selection un unintentionally on the entity that owns owns the real estate. So maybe talk about that transaction and how they'd be better served structuring that. If they haven't done it now, you maybe do it now for next year or, you know, structuring it in the future if they're just going to get into that industry. And you know what? You are such a great leader here. I'll tell you what, because the way that I would do that would be set up a separate entity, which is a property management company or whatever other services company that you want to call it and effectively income strip the real estate property right? The real estate entity. So you can set up multiple entities that interact with each other to move cash around as long as there's a good business reason, right? If you do this with a complete fake, you know, the IRS looks at this and calls it a straw man. Uh, you never, ever want those words straw man in your name on an IRS piece of paper anywhere ever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, if you've got a real business purpose, like, for example, a property management company or a consulting company or, you know, whatever, it is, as long as it's providing an actual service to the original primary company. So a property management company would do the property management calls for the real estate. You can strip some of that income into the new entity. The new entity can be an escort if that's what you're trying to get around, right? So depending on what your goals are, and I think that's really one of the biggest points about any kind of tax planning is that no one can do tax planning for you unless we know where you wanna go. So are you trying to bulk up retirement? Are you trying to uh, pay for the kids for college? Uh, do we want to buy a yacht, buy an island? You know, what, what is it that you want to do? If we don't know that as planners, we can't plan for you because the decisions we're going to make are completely different than what you might actually want, you know? So. Yeah, no doubt. You got to start with 
with the end game in in mind because Absolutely. if you don't have that in mind you can't really do the plan and I, and I like to think of it as as sort of a series of things number one is the how are you going to get into this structure there's there's mechanics to getting into it like say maybe just making an s election if that's the easiest way to do it then I like to think about well how is it going to operate day to day to your point it can't just be a straw man situation there needs to be sub substance to whatever transaction you're trying to do if you're trying to if you're trying to squeeze out some tax benefits in particular right the IRS really want you to have some substance. And then I like to think about, well, what happens if you ever want to exit this in the future? Is there some feature to it that won't be as good based on your exit plan? And sometimes people haven't thought about all those uh, steps. And so we have to talk about it and talk about it more. That's why they have you. This is the whole purpose. Yes. Well, and that's why you have a team. You can't make decisions in a vacuum. You can't listen to your realtor who, yeah, I know a tax guy from 10 years ago that said that this is the way to do that. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Right? You you have a professional team for a reason. Get all of the opinions from the entire professional team to know which choices are going to be good or bad and cause issues, et cetera. Great point. Yeah. All right. Here's another one that I hear all the time about this time of year because I'm related to farmers. I've got to spend money. I've got to expense. (sighs) A bunch of things because I've just got cash on the books and I got to clear the books. Yeah. Equipment. How how lovely is it? This is I th- I think this is one of my biggest complaints about CPAs. So so let me back up for the listeners out there that don't know the the difference here. Okay. So I am what's called a strategic tax coach. I am this is my specialty. This is what we do is tax strategy. Okay. And I love CPAs. According to Google, there are 660,000 CPAs in the U.S. But what that means is not every CPA is a specialist in what you're asking them for. Okay, so you've got CPAs that are financial advisors and CPAs that are CFOs and CPAs that are auditors, completely different across the board. As a tax strategist, the biggest problem that I have with CPAs, I love, I'm a CPA myself, right? CPA, master's in tax, tax strategist, and I will, I will even put the blame on myself. 15 years ago, before I started focusing on tax strategy, I used to say this to people all the time. Absolutely, you wanna decrease your tax? Let's put money into a 401k and let's buy a car. Okay, listen, I don't need a fleet of 20 cars. If I bought a car last year, I'm not buying another car this year. We got a problem, okay? So this is where your tax strategist really comes in here, which is what are the other things besides, you're saying a farmer buying equipment, really doesn't matter what industry you're in. Besides buying equipment, what else can we do? So yes, of course you can buy equipment. If you need equipment, buy what you need. I'm not saying don't get the equipment, but let's go back to your goals. Do we want to put into retirement? Could we set up a defined benefit plan, which maximum allows you to put 150, 250, 300, $600,000 a year away for retirement. Okay. So how much money do you have to spend? Do we want to look at building your own insurance company? That's an option. Okay, an 831B reinsurance company is a great option for a lot of people. Do we want to look at paying your kids? If you've got kids over the age of seven, you can pay them to work in your business. You can help build their credit. By the time they're 18, you can help start building them their own real estate portfolio because now they have pay stubs and they have credit history. Let's work on paying your kids. You want to build an empire? That's the way to do it, right? So sorry for the little mini rant there, Brent, but I hate it when people say, go buy equipment. No, no, you talk to your strategist before you buy equipment. If there's money left and you want a new car, by all means, go get the new car. I'm in. Yeah, I'm the same. (laughs) I have the same reaction when my uh, primarily family members tell me these things. I got to spend this money by the end of the year so I can expense it. And I'm thinking, do you need it? 
Why are we why are we spending money? Also, I've been out to the farm. I've seen the equipment. None of it's any good. It's not like they're <laughs> buying good stuff. It's just like yeah. we're just buying more the junk to buy whatever. And what I always tell people is, listen, honey, here, here are the choices. Of course, go buy the equipment or you can pay me and I can write your tax plan to keep that money in your pocket rather than the John Deere tractor people. OK, right. <laughs> uh, or you can pay the government. So here are your options. What do you want? Equipment, tax plan, pay the government choice. And there we go. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is it's not the to your point. It's the like once you figure out what the goal is, then that can fit into the goals, of course, if you if you're going to buy equipment and, and you want to take that that 179. Uh, we just help the client. Yeah, we client. just help the client buy a one point nine million dollar yacht and it's a business deduction. Do you want a one point nine million dollar yacht that I can help you do? So mm-hmm. you got to You got to know what you want. Right. Otherwise, you right. can't make it happen. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, we work with a lot of business owners and, and a lot of the business owners are quite nervous about things like being sued. Um, and they, they feel a lot of trepidation about the possibility of being sued in the future. And I like to start them out when we're kind of having that conversation and it's, it's related to the tax stuff. I promise for anybody who's like, are we going on a tangent here? Um, the, the the easy stuff is the stuff that people forget to do. The the easy stuff is you fully fund your 401k. You know, have you maxed out the both employee and employer contributions to your 401k every year? Yeah, every right. Have you done that? Yes or no? If no, then it's like, well, you're leaving money on the table that is exposed to creditor claims. Whereas if it's just in that account, then at least in the state of Arizona, which is similar to many other states, it's free from the claims of creditors, including bankruptcy creditors. So do you want that or not? Same thing like you're pointing out to find benefit plans. You know, do you have extra cash now laying around? You don't want to spend it on taxes. You don't want it to potentially go to creditors. You don't want to give it away. Maybe you need to be doing this. And it's an easy thing. It's not a, a super sexy, exciting thing. It's a really kind of easy, boring thing. But all of these easy, boring things, when they start to accumulate over a very long period of time, all of a sudden become extremely meaningful dollars wise. It's going to say that the sexy bit is taking you from paying the government a million dollars to now you pay the government 10,000 and right. all of that money is in your pocket. That's the right. sexy bit of doing the basic easy stuff. Absolutely. Right. And then doing that consistently. Yes. Everybody wants a magic bullet in one year. It's like, well, I think you're going to live more than one year. So we got to be thinking about <laughs> consistency over a long course of years. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully right? I, if you have a heart attack at the bill that comes from the IRS, uh, it's a different issue. But <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, when you're talking about consistency and doing the little things, I mean, there's even something as simple, like I go back to, uh, I, I don't know if I've explained this. So let, let me explain it just right quick. As you said, little mini tangent, but it'll be related to the taxes. So there's something called an aggression scale in my world. All right. So you've got that's zero to 10. Zero meaning the IRS never calls you never ever unless it's a random audit, but that means you're leaving money on the table, right? Going to a 10, which means we're all going to jail, right? And your listeners, I have, you know, I believe they're pretty nice. They're pretty cool people, but I'm not doing a level 10. I'm not going to jail, right? It's not happening. So each client needs to look at what is their aggression scale, right? For the, for them, for the client, But they also need to be asking that same question of their advisors, because if the client is a level eight, you know, tax goddess will go up to a level eight, will push the envelope, but all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted. I'm not going to jail for no one, not happening, right? But I'll go to a level eight. If you want to be at a level eight, Brent, you and I together, we will go to a level eight. Okay. However, if your CPA 
is a level two and we build a tax plan that's a level eight, now you've got problems. CPA won't sign off, whatever, you know, whatever. So you also need to know not only where you are, but also where your team is. Where is your CPA? Where's your financial advisor? Where are they on this risk scale? Now, the reason why I brought this up and what triggered it is something like the accountable plan, okay? <clears throat> Sounds like a very basic kind of thing, an accountable plan. What is that? When we talk to business owners, they don't, they've never even heard the term. They don't even know what an accountable plan is. An accountable plan is a level zero. I'm not even going to call it a strategy because it's literally something that CPAs just miss. It should be done and it just gets missed over and over and over again. So an accountable plan, what it basically says is if you're a business and you're an employee, you work for your business, you are allowed to request reimbursement from the business for things that you paid personal money on on behalf of the business. So let's take COVID, for example. 99% sure that 99% of the population had a home office during COVID. Okay. If you're W-2, you don't get to deduct that home office. But if you're a business owner, you can use an accountable plan and your business can reimburse you for the costs of running that home office, right? Your internet, portion of your power, portion of your uh, mortgage, you know, whatever these things are. So an accountable plan, you know, we see this a lot where people are deducting a home office, but they've never heard the term accountable plan. If the IRS catches that and you don't actually have a written plan, all of those deductions are no longer going to be deductible. So that's why it's a level zero, like flat out missed. But an accountable plan will also allow you to deduct anything that is ordinary and necessary for what you do. Okay. So I'm going to give you an example. This one just blew my mind. Professional speaker. Okay. Husband's an attorney. She's a professional speaker. Uh, they had, they lived a really nice lifestyle, you know, but she was getting her hair done and her nails done and clothing and a lot of travel and all this kind of stuff. She was getting all of that done as a speaker. Her previous CPA told her, no, that's not deductible. She This is what she does for a living. She cannot walk onto stage looking like not so good, right? Looking like she just walked off of the street, right? She has, there's a professional image, there's an appearance, there's a certain type of presentation. We see this with anyone that's labeled an actor or, you know, news media appearances. I mean, you know, right now we're recording, uh, but we've got visual and I know we're going to audio, you know, but there's pieces here. She had spent over $190,000 a year that was ordinary and necessary for her business those two words are super important, ordinary and necessary for her business to run and for her to get jobs and for her to make more money. And her previous CPA said, no, not allowed to deduct it. Huge thing. And the only reason we found it for her was because we asked her about an accountable plan. What are you spending personal money on that really relates to the business? I was floored. She was floored. She's thrilled right? But I mean, floored. And so when we see these level zero strategies, if, if the CPA isn't asking about them, so guys, for the listeners out there, if you're an S-corp, a C-corp, a partnership, an LLC taxed as an S-corp, a C-corp, or a partnership, please ask your CPA about an accountable plan. And if they look at you with blank eyes and have no idea what you're talking about, run. That's all I have to say. Go find a new CPA, okay? Because if they don't know what accountable plan is, are you leaving 190000 on the table? Who knows? So anyway, I'm sorry, Brent, you got me on all the topics today. I'm over yeah, here ranting. I, I, yeah, I'm so sorry. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> no, no, it's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great point and a good segue into understanding that there could be things that um, are not tax preparation related, if that makes sense. Like there's a difference, and maybe I should have said it 
uh, in the opposite. But the there is a difference between preparing a tax return and doing tax planning. And there are a lot of advisors who are very good at doing tax returns. And frankly, and I have like my heart goes out to them because they are just absolutely slammed. And the last couple of years have been a nightmare. Yes. And the changes in the code have been just horrendous. So, you know, I God bless all of the accountant brethren and sisters out there because they're just doing they're just doing the best they can in a lot of cases and they're doing good work. But there's a big difference between tax prep and tax planning. What you're talking about is tax planning and many CPAs are very good and very focused on tax prep. Yeah. As a CPA, your job is to prepare the tax turn and make sure the client doesn't go to jail. Basically, keep them out of audit. That is your job, right? Uh, and that's why we have these separate distinctions. You know, CPA can be right 660,000, according to Google. They can do anything. Mm -hmm. Next level up is a master's in taxation. We specialize in tax. So that's me. I'm part of that crowd, right? Then you get to certified tax coach, certified tax strategist. So, you know, there's only 607 people in the entire U.S. that do what I do. And I'm in the top three of those people. So, uh, you know, there's very few of us that come at it from this angle. And we work with your CPA. So let's back up. Earlier, I said run away from the CPA that doesn't know an accountable plan. You're right. I love my CPA, brethren. You are 1000% correct. Don't run away, but see if they're willing to be educated, right? Hey, I've got a tax strategist. She brought this up. Can you do a little research on this? Can we talk this through? How do we get this implemented in my own world? If they're not willing to even talk about it, okay, then Brent, I'm sure you'll agree with then run away, okay? <laughs> Go find somebody who's at least willing to have a conversation about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we work with people that have had their CPAs for 20 years. You've got a relationship. You've got a bond with that person. You trust that person. A strategist is just another person on the team, like anyone else. It's part of a team. Mm -hmm. so, great point. Yeah, no, I'm glad you added that because I I failed. I was thinking of uh, adding, but failed to, to add the, it's not just if they give you the doughy eyes, it's if they give you the doughy eyes and they have no interest in learning. Yes. Uh, yep. That that's and Rachel and I see that all the time. We'll have clients who they want to throw ideas at us that are a little out of the ordinary. Just because it wasn't our idea doesn't mean it's not a good idea. And yes. so we'll we definitely look into it and want to get educated. And sometimes we agree, like, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. And sometimes we say it sounds good, but actually X, Y, and Z is the case, and it doesn't quite fit. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. It's it's really yeah, having the conversations with the whole team, right? We we always discuss this that. You, you have this phenomenal team behind you because every team member is going to bring in a different perspective, right? As the tax planning attorneys, we really bring in a different perspective. As the tax strategist, you bring a different perspective. The CPA that you've had for 20 years, that's been the family CPA, however it may be, right? They bring a different perspective. And so it's bringing all of those minds together and doing that planning so then you can take the next steps going forward. Yeah, couldn't agree more. <laughs> So notwithstanding the fact that I set this up with the like, we're at the end of the year, but let me, I wanted to ask you about when, when you're trying to do planning, what is in your mind, you know, the ideal time for a client to connect with you where you could actually do something more meaningful for them during that particular calendar year or that tax year, whatever, if they're not on a calendar year basis. Yeah. So I've got a huge smile on my face. I think earlier you had said January. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, the, the sooner you can start with planning, the better. OK, um, so I would say generally, right, by the time we hit the end of August, you start to lose hours in your day here, right? Because when we look at strategies, sure, I can give you the strategy, but if I don't give it to you until December 25th, everything's closed. 
that you can't do whatever it is I told you to do, right? And, and there you go. So uh, now I will say that I had somebody call me once on December 31st. I actually already have champagne, one in me and one still in the glass. Uh, they were asking tax strategies. And I said, listen, as long as you take it with a grain of salt, because I've been drinking champagne, I'm good. I will, let's talk, you know. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of this comes down to expectations. So I'll give you a perfect example. Yesterday, we were on the telephone with somebody going over their case, going over their example. In a full year, full year, right? We have 12 months to implement strategies. Their annual savings was $58,000 a year, okay? But we're talking to them yesterday, November 14th. All right. We reran the calculations and said, listen, there's two things here. OK, if you do what we tell you to do by December 31st, you'll save about 19000 for this year, current year. So you still there are still things you can do end of year. There's still things we can do. OK, however, I'm going to have to crack the whip a little bit. Right. Like you can't you can't be drinking champagne and eating cookies. If I need you to go do something, you need to go. Do, I mean, maybe you could do that with champagne. I don't know. But you got to go do it right. It has to get done because either you do it by the end of the year or you don't. There's really only I'm going to say five to seven big. You know, there's lots of little strategies, but five to seven big strategies, big money things that you can do after the year is over. But, you know, a lot of the big bulk of it happens before December 31st. So if you haven't reached out to your CPA, your tax strategist, you know, whatever it is, you're, you're kind of a little bit behind the ball here, honey, right? Like you got to go now. So, and I think that's one of the signs of a good tax planner and whoever you're talking to, right? A good tax planner is they're going to be very upfront with you, right? And they're going to say, here's what we can do. And here's, there's no way, <laughs> right? Here's here's what can happen. Yeah. yeah. And we, we deal a lot too on the cross-border tax planning side of things where even a year is not enough planning, right? Yeah. We're, we're talking about the initial plans and the goals for the client, right? And it's like, all right, well, if you're going to expatriate, then we need to know years in advance, right? We need to know because we've got these, now we're dealing with the tax laws of two different countries or whatever it may be. And so it's really understanding what are the goals of the client when you're first starting to have those meetings so you can really start setting those deadlines and your timelines on when we need to start getting things done. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that where it literally takes years, sometimes because the IRS requires that you be in a particular position over the course of a number of years. You know, there's like the your typical 1042 exchange when you do a sale to an ESOP of stock, you have to have a three-year holding period. So you, you got to know three years before that happens that you're going to you're gonna get there. Same thing with uh, trying to qualify to have what's called qualified small business stock, get some capital gains exclusion. You know, you got to know up front that this is going to happen and you got to plan for it. So to your point, I mean, the, the sooner somebody talks to the planner and expresses the outcome that they want, then the sooner they can start to get back on track. Yep. Yep. And I mean, you bring up very, very good examples in some of those cases. I want to know before you even start the business. Oh, this yeah. is what I want. This is where it's going. Because you're right. I mean, if you make a change midstream, well, let's start again. Mm -hmm. Start rewriting again. That's how this is going to work. So yeah. Yep. Can, yeah, it can be challenging. Yeah. Uh, okay. Not to, we, we could, I, that's a topic <laughs> you and I could dig into for We're gonna an rant. hour. We won't bore everybody here for an hour, but I did want to mention one other thing that we're seeing a lot this year. Yeah. Uh, some of it was forced upon us because of the potential tax changes, but it's been a lot of estate tax planning, very similar. You know, we're trying to get people to do large gifts. They're complex transactions. They take time to do, they take a lot of thought. Um, but the numbers as, as far as the tax uh, benefits can be pretty eye-popping. 
and it's something that has off you know the way it was being structured or proposed previously it was something that like literally had to be done this year and maybe even before the end of the year and so those sorts of yeah. uh time sensitive types of transactions people have to also understand like you if to your point like if you don't get it done before the end of the year you're out of luck yeah, the, the, the window the is year. closed Oh, I mean, I'll be super honest with you. Most of the attorneys that we work with that have been doing these kinds of trusts, you know, we're talking the 11.58 million per person gifting trusts, you know, these kinds of things. They were booked out in June of this year. They weren't even taking any more clients because everybody with money went, uh, now, like right now, I had some of the attorneys getting paid double their fees, double going from 40,000 for the plan to 80,000 for the plan to make sure it got done before it, originally it was October 15th. I mean, madhouse. So yeah, this is anyway, we could rant. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been, it's been crazy, but those, yeah. yeah, those sorts of big transactions to your point. Yeah. You have to kind of crack, crack the whip and they don't happen with the snap of a finger. No. They take a lot of effort. And so if you're going for one of these big ticket items, uh, you just have to expect that it's going to be harder than just scratching a check. I always tell people it's unfortunately not bibbity bobbity boo. I know I, I'm a goddess, but that's not how it works half the no. time. So, yeah. So sad. I'm sure people are disappointed mm. to learn that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shana, we could uh, we could wrap with you about this stuff all day long, but I know we don't have time for that and you don't have time for that in the interests of all of our collective clients. So uh, if people are trying to reach you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Easiest place to find us is taxgoddess.com. That website, you can book an appointment to talk to the team, find us, find our YouTube channel on YouTube. YouTube, You can find us at Tax Goddess. So just search Tax Goddess. You will find us. The interwebs will know which way to go. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sounds like a grand design, some sort of strategy. (laughs) Well, we can't thank you enough for your time and uh, and talents here. Thank you so much, Shauna. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, listeners. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information. And I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us reviews. Uh, subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law, basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.